Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast, your podcast where you join a secret American government agency and find out, wait, I'm getting transferred to where? Hey, this ain't Kansas anymore, is it, Toto? No, 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 no. Tonight we are continuing Hero 13 and the Second World. To catch you all up again, the Second World Sourcebook is a D20 gaming supplement written by Stephen Palmer Peterson, and it dealt with multi- planar gaming where like bringing fantasy gaming into a modern setting or vice versa and on the first page mr peterson put an open fiction license basically allowing any of the game setting material to be used in other gaming supplements so when i headed up the bureau 13 ogo conversion project i saw that and there were things in it i liked and i saw many other similarities that said, okay, this will work too. So tonight what we're doing is being a Bureau 13 agent in the second world. Now, the second world, geographically, it's pretty much the same as Earth. But it's... You have large cities that somewhat look like modern-day Earth, but, of course, you're going to have flying carpets and knights and plate mail walking on what looks like the Brooklyn Bridge, and as you get away from these cities, it looks more like a fantasy setting. But in this fantasy setting, and in the Second World Sourcebook, there are organizations that you can join. And of course, there are game mechanics involved that you roll to get into these organizations. One of them is an organization that calls itself Habrex 7, or 7. Now, when I read this, I said this could be just a subsection of Bureau 13. So this is my premise for this episode of the podcast. Now, give you a bit of blurb history here for Habrex 7. Now, when I refer to the first and second world, the first world in this case would be Bureau 13 Earth, or just modern-day Earth. In the first world, this group is the blackest of the black, so hidden that they have gone entire presidencies without ever reporting to an elected authority. In the second world, Habrex 7 is somewhat more widely known, though still not well-known by any means. It numbers a few score people and has offices in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. In all but Washington, D.C., it also has an office on the second world side. Habrex 7, or just 7, draws its name from its source of funding. In order to hide the group and its budget, the office draws funds from the Habitat Recovery Branch of the EPA. There are actually six such branches divided regionally throughout the U.S. Since Seven draws more down money from each of these branches, 
the agents started referring to themselves as the seventh branch of Habrek, and this simply evolved into calling himself Seven. The president office, when Seven was created, wanted to present himself as being strong in the environment, so he figured funneling funds to Seven being an environmental agency would look good on his record while, at the same time, promoting national security interests. Technically, Seven reports the NSA. However, since Seven suffers from something akin to exile, that is, when you go to the second world, in other words, when you find something supernatural and you don't, like, just put it aside, you get sucked into the second world and you become a citizen there. If you come back to the first world, i.e. Earth, you get pulled back after a while. Since Seven something's, suffers from something akin to exile, most civilians tend to forget it exists at all. This can create problems for maintaining the budget, but previous heads managed to get much of their funding hardwired into other programs. So, this could be a subset of Bureau 13, because, you know, Bureau 13 has their divisions within divisions. So, this, would, this fits right in. Promoting national security, again, fits right, you know, like hand in glove type thing. Yeah, well, some- or it could be a competing organization, just like the Shadow Works is a competing organization. That was some, that was something I wanted to con- wanted to talk about too. Since the Shadow Works, I mean, I've had my ideas on it, Bruce, but that was your baby. That was something that came up in Extreme, and we'll discuss the Shadow Works and their relation to Seven and the Second World later. That that's another thing I thought about. Is okay. How would the Shadow Works deal with? this whole concept of this other plane of existence so closely tied to Earth. Due to seven special nature, its operatives enjoy a great deal of latitude in going about their business. They choose who to watch and who to fund. They choose who to cultivate for an alliance. They basically just get up in the morning and pursue an agenda they think beneficial national security. Due to this latitude, one of the key criteria for an agent is their loyalty and trustworthiness. The head knows each agent personally, and new agents are typically recruited by current agents who've already worked with them for a time. You cannot be a full agent if you suffer from exile. This makes the top positions unavailable to most player characters. However, Seven does work with liaisons, and these people can exert substantial pull in the organization. So basically, Seven, how their hierarchy works, is two levels. If you suffer from exile, i.e. you are someone from the first world that gets pulled in the second world, and you happen to find out about Seven, and you join in and you go through all their rigorous uh, membership protocols, you would become a liaison. Now, the best way I would describe an agent is if you're a Bureau 13 agent, you get transferred over to the second world through a shift gate, which Seven has shift gates in all of their corresponding Earth and second world offices. So you could go that way, and then you would get the full agent designation. Seven agents spend most of their time gathering intelligence. They watch for the they watch the actions of potentially subversive groups. In the past, they focused on the anarcho-syndicalist movement in, New- in Second World New York. Basically like the counterculture there. Imagine ultra-activistic hippies. Oh, we don't like what this particular group is doing in Second World New York. Yeah, we're going to pick it and, you know, passive resistance and that type of thing. And they can probably do magic, too. So, Well, yeah, a lot of them <laughs> are the elves from northern Pennsylvania and upstate New York. In the second world, that's known as the Huron Wild. Remember, these are the elves that basically are like, the, they fashion themselves after the Iroquois Indians. Of which, one of Josie's previous characters, Karotu, was basically an Iroquois elf. So, the, the AS movement 
is kind of backed by the elves, but obviously other people have joined, humans, dwarves, what have you. And whenever they see something they don't like with the power structures in the area, they'll make their presence known, but not in a violent way. They're just going to be kind of, uh, yeah, we are keeping an eye on you, you know, pointing to their eyeballs, pointing to them type thing. Uh, let's see. And some have actually undermined AS goals. However, concerns about the spread of global communism here have dwindled to nearly nothing. Is ha- so Habrick focuses on other organizations now. The field office in Chicago tracks the movement of the central empire aristocracy. The central empire would be the analog to the United States of America. Their capital is in Chicago. That's why Habrick 7 does not have a Washington, D.C. office in the second world, because if there is a city that corresponds to Washington, D.C., it's not going to be as important or as big, because in the second world, Chicago is the quote-unquote American capital. Huh. The office in, yes, the office in New York keeps tags on Solstice and magical groups like Tempest Argonne and the College of the Interstice. Now, Solstice International was one of the things I did put into the Bureau 13 OGL project, and that would be the McCann family and the Kabbalah families. Patrick McCann, the man who runs Solstice International, is part of the McCann family, which are one of the 13 families that myself and Eric Spar made for the OGL version of Bureau 13, sort of like another level of Illuminati-esque powerful families fighting around the world with various resources. For the most part, these are nothing more than intelligence-gathering operations. Habrick 7 lacks the status to make more serious moves. Yet, with the withdrawal of imperial forces from the Northeast, Seven has realized it's important to keep the region stable. As such, Habrick 7's New York office works toward a solution to stabilize the city. In doing so, the agents there have approached powerful organizations like BlueCon, ACI, and Solstice to solicit assistance in reforming the power structure of the city. Okay, in the Central Empire, back in the 80s or 90s, there was the Mississippi Valley War. Hi, New Orleans has been conquered by undead. We're going to send Imperial Legion troops down there to pacify the region. Yeah, they won, but it was kind of a pyrrhic victory because obviously there was a lot of life lost and people have been noticing the Central Empire. That's why they're keeping an eye on the aristocracy. People and things have changed. So a lot of troops from around the Central Empire, including the City of Runes, a.k.a. Second World New York, the Imperial Legion has pulled out of a lot of areas to concentrate their forces back on the capital. Because they know something's wrong, and that has left a power vacuum now in the City of Ruins. Again, the City of Ruins, because there are 12 major powers around the plant, well, 11, and then Mars is patterned. And so, New York being a great city, yeah, there was Imperial Legion presence there, but it's the power of the rune. Basically, pure magic. Or at least the power of the sigil. The Imperial Legion was like, yeah, we're here. Yeah, we've got control. Yeah, right. So then they pulled out to concentrate on the capital. Now all it's a power vacuum and all these other factions are now trying to control the city. Yeah, there is a city government, but what's the term? It's a paper tiger. So you have Blue Con Solstice, ACI, which is like um, a half-elf architect with a liar of building. That's how the city of ruins looks like New York because you can use a liar a building to 
create skyscrapers. So basically what Seven is doing, they're keeping an eye to make sure that New York doesn't implode due to the power vacuum battle. That's their main thing in New York. In Chicago, as I said, they're keeping an eye on all this rumblings about the aristocracy in, in the capital because of the fact that they know something has gone horribly south after they fought in the south, so to speak. Habrick 7 operates out of a small office in Second World New York. It's large enough to contain a shift gate, and they also own the office space on the First World site. Their Second World office has no markings or listings. You need to know about them ahead of time to even find them. If you run... Okay, yeah. Um, and there was a scenario on the website called Small Worlds and Exiles that introduced Agent Sharon Stiles, and she could be a part of this office. Now, Seven, as I said... Let's see. Trying to see what else. Because they really don't say what the other... Let's see. Seattle, L.A. Yeah, New York and... (coughs) Excuse me. New York and Chicago, they say what's going on there. Los Angeles, Seattle. In the setting, they really don't say what's going on. Now, Los Angeles is the power of the Dream Warden. And in the Second World setting, the Dream Warden is sort of a mixture of dream travel and psionic powers. So when you get to the center of Los Angeles, everything is in black and white. And as you go further out and out from the center, color starts returning until it gets very vibrant. And just so... Maybe in L.A. they're watching psionic activity. And in Seattle, they really have not mentioned anything about the Pacific Northwest in the setting. They kind of concentrate more on the eastern half of the country in this setting. So if you play in the second world setting, you know, whatever goes in Seattle, just because they really haven't touched on it at all. But yeah. Yes. Wasn't there like plans to do supplements for the other areas? So not that I know of. Not that I know of. The only other uh, supplements that Stephen Paul and Peterson did was Masters of Arms, Skill-Focused Talking, and Bodies and Souls. Skill-Focused Talking was a D20 supplement on bluff and diplomacy. Masters of Arms was like about nine or ten different classes on just combat. Oh, you know how to use a Gwiz arm. Oh, you're a dual swordsman. Oh, and then Bodies and Souls were various templates where you had things like machine-coded and mechanized and... The Gael Traveler, which is like having an angel ride inside you, and then they come out when pure evil is out and about. And it was just templates that you could apply to the character. No other real setting stuff was done in Second World Simulations, and then Steven Peterson. From what I hear now, he's a screenwriter and aspiring actor, so he, he kind of gave up on role-playing design entirely. And so, as I said, all of this stuff is still... The three previous PDFs and the second are still on the OneBookshelf.com sites. So you can get this stuff. Yeah, they're still for sale. It's just the second-world-simulations.com is down. And I've tried getting it on the Internet Archive, and it says, well, no, you have hits on it, but to bring the site back up to look at it, not an option. Because obviously he let the, the domain go after, you know. It's, it's always an option if you uh, go to archive.org. I oh archive.org okay and hit the wayback machine 
I did, and it was just giving me a chart on. Oh look, these are the time number of times that you oh, know. Yeah, you click on one of the you click on one of those things, it'll take you to the actual save pages they have in the archive. Okay, it did it for you. It didn't do it for me. So uh, apparently, I'm doing something wrong or just the settings off. Or anyways, yeah. About being an agent for Bureau Thirteen in Seven. As I said, I I have it as they call themselves this as another form of disinformation. You know, what what's the line from the Avengers? Even their secrets have secrets. So this would be sort of their post there. Now, being a seven agent in New York City, as I said, you are gaining intelligence on trying to find ways to control the power vacuum battle or at least keep it down to a dull roar. As I said, the Imperial Legion, yeah, they withdrew, but there's still a post there. But they are at a fraction of what they were. Obviously, you're not having Imperial Legionnaires roaming the city constantly being the main police force. Because as one of the great cities, L.A., New York, Hong Kong, Calcutta, the Brazilian rainforest itself, the Congo, London, Berlin, Tokyo, and the planet Mars, if you're a quote-unquote great city, you kind of have a power onto yourself. You're like a magically powered city-state. As I said, the Legion sort of hung out there, but they knew full well they didn't have power. If that city wanted to kick them out with pure magic or pure shadow or pure, you know, whatever, it would do it. If it felt that the Legion was an evil enough force. So the Legion still has a foothold in the city, but it is a fraction of what it was. Meanwhile, you have corporations, again, like ACI, which... Uh, Atlantic Construction Industries, a human that turned into a half-elf, became a bard, and found out that a liar a building can build skyscrapers. And her people aren't even bards. They're just expert experts with uh, performed string instruments. And you play in a liar of building. That it's in Pathfinder and in the DMG. And you can build a skyscraper in maybe a couple months and then just bring in... Uh, experts to like do the fine-tuning crafting stuff so because there's no union monopoly rules aci pretty much runs that so they have power blue con a first world company trains airplanes shipping here they sell first world objects to the second world you can get telescopes you can get old style world war one lighters you can get certain types of you know, medical kits that the technology would apply. So BlueCon has a foothold in New York City. Solstice, of course, cross-dimensional shipping is their bread and butter. Of course, I mean, they're a normal corporation, but they really do cross-dimensional shipping. So they have a foothold in New York City. So all these various corporate and political and ideological groups now that the legions pull out most of their forces, they're kind of, you know, all scrambling to get who's on top. And of course, there is still technically a city government. Seven is trying to get hands in all their pies, so to speak. Now there is, and I'm going to try to do this without getting into too much game mechanics. Because if you want to use this for another type of system, I'll try to leave out the D20 stuff. But they have contacts with ACI, 
blue conglomerate, the city guard, which is basically the cops there, and the mayor's office. So they've already, Seven's already made connections with these people. And so you can ask for favors through them to get stuff for your agents. It's like, okay, we need to get into the city planning office to find out about when this building was made. Okay, well, go, you know, call the mayor's office. And in this case, for D20, you make a bluff check. There's a, let's see, if you were a full-blown agent, you can do it, but that's a minus five. And then you can, you know, they activate the city planning archives favor, which is another part of the Second World Source book. And you can get plans, you know, floor plans for this building. Of course, the floor plans are probably made by ACI, so they'll know what's going on. And also with Habrex 7, you can do things like, oh, let's see, get files from Earth. You just make a, you know, a requisition check. You can use the D20 modern requisition rules. Or you can use the rules in the Second World Source book and, let's see, First World, I forget the particular skill for First World Files, but basically they'll photocopy photographs because of the laws of magic and nature and chemistry in the Second World. Photographs don't last, they disintegrate. So what they'll do is they'll photocopy it on paper and then just send the paper over. So you'll still get... A picture of a picture. Okay, we need a picture of this guy. Well, we can't give you the, a, a photograph of him. Photograph the paper. And, you know, First world transit. You can get back to the first world through a shift gate. Cross world call. In other words, there's a, well, basically, modern day humans made a nightclub called House Usher. They also have basically an interdimensional phone system. A lady named Lily is the 24-hour operator, and she, with this Technomagic cell phone, you can call back to the first world. Dial in the first world number, and Habrex 7 has that. All liaise, I think all agents get a free Technomagic cell phone. Uh, psychic analysis, basically psychometry and detect psionics. And then we'll pass it off as toilet seats. Manipulating paperwork in order to make things cheaper. So if you do this enough, you can get stuff for free, but you're constantly having to make rolls and rolls and rolls to do it. They also include training. Uh, let's see, fire combat, interrogation, inspection. Very, it gives you various boosts to skills and even stats. Again, this is all more game mechanic stuff for D20. It's explained more elsewhere in the book. And they have universal psionic items and rings that you can actually requisition. Now, the universal items from a 6th level Scion, you would probably have to use, what is it, the Expanded Psy Handbook from 3.5, or if you were doing this via Pathfinder, which is compatible, the Ultimate Psionics book from Dream Scarred Press. And then, of course, rings from a 12th level wizard, you could probably get rings of invisibility, which for a Bureau 13 agent is, is you know, probably one of the best things you can give them. So that's, a good so, so that's a good question, Trav. So how does Bureau 13 and Hab Habrick 7 sort of mesh together then? Well, as I said, I use them as, okay, they're in, in Bureau 13 D20, you add Department Magnus and Department Geller. 
Mm-hmm. In other words, the magical and psi R&D divisions, respectively. Basically, the people who make their weapons. Well, because we've made it... Okay, Bureau 13, you use the wands and stabs to help cast magic better. I've instituted a rule. Yeah, it's a little harder to cast magic. You basically have to make a spellcraft check or a caster level check. Here on the second world, magic is free-flowing. There's no inherent world resistance, so magic items can be created easier here. Seven probably has a bunch of people from Department Magnus here getting magic items for them. They just send them back through the shift gates of their agents. Oh, we need a cloak of invisibility, which a cloak of invisibility in Bureau of the Turn Earth might be like an overcoat. Like a hood. With a hood on it. So fine. They just make that and send it over. So you, and then you reposition it. So you mentioned being banished, but is it possible to go to the second world and not be banished? Oh, if you go there on your own, yeah, that's not exile. Ah. And, and also, I kind of threw this in. If you see, let, let's say you're on the first world, i.e. Bureau 13 Earth, and you go through something supernatural, and Bureau 13 gets to you and you get to Bangor, Maine, the extra-dimensional nature of Bangor, Maine negates exile. That that way, then, if you go to the second world, you you can go to the second world freely, and you can keep doing Bureau Thirteen stuff on the end. You don't get exiled because once you get to Bangor, Maine, it sort of negates the exile potential. Yeah, but not everything gets exiled to the second world because we know well, there are plenty of supernatural you, running around that yes, aren't being exiled. But, well, the way that they describe exile in the beginning of the Second World Source Book is that you just see something out of the corner of your eye. You're driving down the road. And all of a sudden, you see flashing through a warp in a cornfield some lady with a big sword fighting a dragon, and then it disappears. Hmm. Now, if you just push it out of your head and say, you know what, I've been driving for 12 hours, I'm, I just hallucinated it, or if you just drink it away, you're good. But if it sticks in your mind like a, you know, a splinter, how it gets in your finger and you can't get it out and it's just there, if it sticks in your mind hard enough, after a while, you're going to, you know, turn a corner and you're going to end up in the second world. Oh, or yeah. if you fall asleep, you're going to wake up in the second world, usually in the same place geographically. So if you're in, like, second world upstate New York, you're going to wake up in a forest where mm-hmm. you fell asleep in a hotel room. Uh, so you're better off making a left-hand turn then. Oh, I'm, that'd be I'm, a, making a, I'm making a reference hard-wired to... Hard-wired Hannah right? Yeah, yeah. I get I, <laughs> No, it's fucking there, man. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, it can be left or right. It's just you turn yeah. and you have to. Damn. You better know where you're going before you make that turn. If you if yeah. you're on the the um, cusp of getting exiled. So flip a coin. You might end up in the second world, or you end up on at least at, at least a hardware line, You keep your car until the spritz yeah. get to it. Well, no. <laughs> well, see if you're in a car, that's fine. Usually, it's if you're walking and you just turn around a blind corner. Boom, mm. you're in a forest all of a sudden. That's kind of what exile is. Yeah. The other one is you fall... And, and I mean, after a while, if you realize that just things are getting weird and you feel the pull of exile, so you stay awake and just mm-hmm. finally you can't do it anymore, you drop from exhaustion, that's when you wake up and you find yourself mm. in the second world. So that's probably what happened to D.B. Cooper. He saw a Sasquatch. 
Yeah, or Amelia Earhart, or you know. Yeah, yeah. Also, I think uh, now they're no, no. Yeah. Actually, Amelia. I actually put Amelia Earhart on Hardware Hinterland. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, anyway, seven with how seven agents are. They, as I said, they're doing intelligence gathering. They can be a little more out in the open because of the fact they're not having to hide the supernatural in public. Mm-hmm. You're that kind of supernatural in the second world. Um, the reason why I put the second world on in the portal books, negative 114 prime, this world resembles London from 1066 collided with 2001. That's the best way to describe the second world. And that's, as I said, that's why I decided to put it there, at least in my fringe book. Because it just fits so well. So, so, so the question is: Are are, are Habrek Seven agents bureau agents, or are they Habrek Seven agents? That's As I made. said, I made I made Habrek Seven just another side division of the bureau. Okay. And it just seems that yeah, they exist back in Bureau Thirteen Earth, but they're more just okay. These are our contacts back on Earth. I'm making seven as the main. They've they've shifted their focus to, okay, we're in Bureau Thirteen, but we need to monitor this other Earth because we are linked to it. And so, oh look, they can make magic items easier. We make the ship gates, and we're just sending over magic items for our agents to use. And and so yeah, it seven is its own. It has become its own organization. But, yeah, there, I have them still as a part of Bureau 13. Again, uh, what is the word? Decompartmentalization. Mm-hmm. So, actually, to answer to your question is, yes, they are their own organization, but they are still part of Bureau 13. Because they've had to take on this role of keeping an eye on North America in the second world. As I said, because they're in L.A., New York, Chicago, Seattle, and they have an office of Washington, D.C., but not in the second world version. Yeah. So, I kind of, I kind of just, this just all clicked for me. As I was reading this and reading this, and I'm reading the stuff about, okay, they've reported, uh, they've had whole presidencies without having to report to anybody. And even in the Bureau 13 timeline, in Bureau 13 OGL, like when George W. Bush, you know, when W. was president, he kind of blew them off. Yeah, whatever. So Bureau 13, okay, we don't need to deal with this president. Just standard operating procedure. Don't even talk to him. Yeah, well, normally they they will mention it to him. And if he just, like, blows them off, they says, okay, just yeah. wanted to keep you in the loop. Yeah. And, yeah. and they walk away until another four to eight years goes by. I'm trying, having hooked up to the uh, environmental department, Habrek, reminds you of that one's uh, sci- sci-fi show, series where they were actually part of the the, the uh, agriculture department. You mean um, you mean uh, Warehouse Thirteen? No, not Warehouse Thirteen. It was a, it was an older one. They were actually You're talking about Special Unit. Special uh, Unit Two was on UPN. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the only two that I'm thinking of that would even correspond to Bureau 13. Warehouse 13, I wasn't aware of what they were linked to. Special 2 was a cop 
was basically a subset of like the Chicago Police Department. Yeah, it basically was set in the same. It was set back in the late nineties, early two thousands. So basically, that SU two, yeah, yeah, that been with sci fi instead of Siffy. <laughs> no, Special Unit Two was oh. on the end. That's right, but Special Unit Two was spent was was uh, yeah, but no, but this was a sci-fi show because they mentioned a couple of other sci-fi shows, like a guy who was invisible. And, oh, the Invisible Man! I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, and and now I'm, I'm it's on the cusp of my brain too. I'll probably remember it after we hit off on the recorder. But yeah, so seven being, as I said, they they are secret, but they're not as secret as. Bureau 13 is back on Earth because they don't have to hide the supernatural in public. When you've got dragons flying through the sky and you know that there's one in the tunnels below New York City, it's kind of, okay, yeah. Their main thing is just their intelligence gathering. And especially with this power vacuum, they're trying to find ways to keep the power vacuum from imploding and it just being a free-for-all. Because they realize that this city is pretty much its own city-state because it being one of the 12 great cities. They're doing the same thing in L.A. that the fact that it's a great city manifesting the power of dreams, they're keeping an eye on that because there's going to be somebody who wants to tap into that and try messing with people's heads. Yeah. Now, now the power of the rune, as I said, that's just basically the power of magical writing. You'll be there and looking at the analog of the Empire State Building, and all of a sudden, this giant purple rune will just skate across the side of the building and then disappear. And it'll just happen randomly because the power of the rune infuses that version of New York. Hmm. Uh, Do they use the runes to uh, mind hack people sometimes? Uh, no. No. Not mind hack. Well, I, if, if you can tap into the power of the room, needless to say, imagine one of the most powerful ley line nexi, because I don't like the term nexuses. One of the it's, most yeah, it's nexus or nexi. Yeah. And a super hyper powerful ley line nexus. That's what these great cities are like. Okay. If you can tap into the power of the particular dream, rune, Tone, which is down in Antarctica, Gate, which is in the ruins of Tecnotitlan, which is the second world's Mexico City. It never evolved into current Mexico City. The Halcone Empire, which are like humanoid cats, which is the second world's equivalent of the Aztecs. Yeah, they they just these particular areas on this earth are all as I said, they're just hyper-powerful ley line points, and they just manifest these particular separate powers. But the power of the sigil, of the magical rune, if somebody could tap into that, and it would probably have to be an epic-level character, they would have a lock on a great city which very few people would be able to stop them. Uh. So, so basically, these, these these are more omega level stuff than yeah yeah yeah. Trying to tap into a um, one of the great cities on the second world, yeah. Even Team Candlestick would be gone. Nope. 
I'm getting double time for this one. This is hazard pay. Oh, and just to stop our listeners from screaming, it is actually an invisible man. He we worked for the agency, which was part of the Department of Fish and Game. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so, yeah. So it was the invisible man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with that quicksilver stuff on him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And it was, and it actually was the one with the newspaper uh, one that actually had the the guy. It basically, it was it, yeah, 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 that mentioned the Invisible Man. So yeah. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> All right. So, Bruce, you mentioned the Shadow Works. Do we want to get into reminding exactly what the Shadow Works are for our listeners because we haven't talked about them in some time? Well, Richard wrote it up differently than how I wanted it to be. So I'll just talk about how I want it to be. Okay. And, and essentially, the Shadow Works are an offspring of the Massacre of 77, where a group of Bureau agents, or it's at least a nucleus of Bureau agents, decided to create a, um, another organization, like the Bureau, because the Bureau basically imploded. And they decided that... The biggest uh, they had a philosophical difference with the bureau, which was they felt that all supernatural was bad, and that they would do everything in their power, you know, to to eliminate the supernatural. And it didn't matter whether you were good supernatural, bad supernatural, you had to go. And that was and that was their point of view. And so they might be investigating the very same situation that a bureau team might. And, of course, they're going to come in with a completely different endgame because while you might go and say, oh, look, you know, it's Bigfoot. You know, we've got to take these guys and take them out in the deep woods and, and help them set up out there rather than where they've decided to make this, you know, this uh, housing track thing. Well, the Shadow Works is going to come in and they're going to grab them and take them out and, and bury them in a big trench. Yeah. Okay. Now, Okay, I had some things to add to that, which was basically the massacre. Now, pretty much what became the Shadow Works was the reason for the massacre of 77. Basically, well, it was interagent warfare between those two ideologies. Yeah, yes, in the sense that the, the that was they, they had an ongoing thing, but it, it was it was a little bit more intense than that, yes. But yes, it was, in fact, it was a uh, civil war. Okay. It was essentially a civil war. Yeah, because the way I see supernatural is like, tech? Well, that's just technology. Psionics? That's a human evolutionary trait. Magic is a no-no. If you're a supernatural creature, it's a no-no. So the Shadow Works, I would see them using, like, advanced technology and psychic powers, but that's it. Which, with tech and psi, you can kind of go toe-to-toe with magic. Right. And like the Bureau, they were very much uh, reliant upon knowledge of Banes. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, if a supernatural creature is affected by uh, common tap water, you bet they're going to use it. Okay, so the Shadow Works... They would realize that the Bureau now has this whole other Earth, which is like, hi, magic and supernatural central. The Shadow Works would be trying to really go up against Seven to stop them, because it's like, 
Oh no, these guys are basically just open the floodgates on supernatural stuff. Because yeah, we're getting people sucked away. And there may be shadow work agents because they're dealing with stuff in the supernatural, i.e. the Bureau. They may be getting sucked over into, which means they're now, what, what's the term, strangers in an unholy land? Yeah. Well, remember that one of the main reasons why the this thing is happening with the uh, second world is because of the existence of the supernatural in our primary world. Yes. So, you know, if the, if the Shadow Works, you know, was able to complete its goal then there wouldn't be any reason for people to be shifting over. They, essentially, the two universes would separate because there'd be nothing holding them together. Okay, but I mean, yeah. in the meantime, the, the, the Shadow Works still would see the second world, as, well, if not a threat, because things don't seem to be coming over as much as they're heading there. But yeah. still, you know, it's like, okay, we got this world. We know that they're getting magic items from there because they're freely made. They're augmenting their magical arsenals with this stuff. I would think the Shadow Works would at least be kind of, there'd be a few of their red dots on Seven just saying, you know, again, pointing to their eyes, pointing to them, you know, like we're keeping an eye on you type thing. Well, um, considering the fact that they're probably using... Um, you know, super uh, magic and other things as part of their operations, then yeah, they would be perfectly okay with eliminating a, a, a group of seven agents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're perfectly fine with that. Okay. Yeah. You know, they're, and what, you know, but they also, they're not stupid. They're not trying to break it into open warfare because they don't have enough people either. And yeah. they do realize it would be a really bad idea for everybody to suddenly come into a knowledge of the supernatural because of all the, because the, you'd have like, you know, 400 million people trying to learn about the supernatural, invoking it at the yeah. same time. So no, that's a bad thing. I'm not, they're not worried about panic. They're worrying about people dabbling and making it worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I would say good luck with trying to rid the uh, Bureau 13 universe of all magic. You have people, you have spirits like, Chief Seattle, who the only way to get rid of him is to wipe Seattle not only from the face of the earth but from everyone's memory. Because as long as there's a Seattle and there's a, and people remember Seattle, Chief Seattle will and Chief C Shield will be walking walking the walking the earth as a ghost. Well, the Shadow Works would be perfectly happy to zap him every time he shows up. Yeah, just like just like uh, uh, Goshnar. Okay, Garshnar shows up, he gets zapped. Garshnar re-coalesces re, re sometime later. Well, that's perfectly fine. We'll do that with the chief, if that's what it takes. And then sooner or later, guess what? If they keep doing it, everybody will forget him. Yeah, uh, but the tr trouble is, they're just dealing with Earth. As we said, incursions part of the Bureau of the Universe. This is supernatural elsewhere, and that's all you need to keep, it, keep, keep things interesting on Earth. Maybe, but all, all, all they're worried about is Earth. If they, if they can cleanse the Earth, then they'll have done their job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how many of those guys have died, died, died on the job and come back as ghosts? Do we want to keep the supernatural away from the public? We just don't want it in our midst. We're not using the supernatural. It was a mistake for Lafayette C. Baker back in 1880 to start bringing in a witch and an alchemist, Samantha right. Poole and Jonas Mitchell, respectively. 
it was a mistake for him to do that, and now we're cleaning up his mess. We're keep uh, what's the term? We're keeping the bureau real. God guts and guns, basically, is what they're they're boiling it down to. Right. Yeah. And and John, you you seem to have a tendency to want to go and somehow you know discount them. Okay. No, I believe don't. me, they they are just as creative of coming up with solutions as oh, any yeah. bureau agent. They have their own fixers. They have their own people, you know, that that make stuff for them. They have their own research people. So just because nobody on the bureau has ever figured out a way to get rid of the chief doesn't mean that there isn't a way. No, yeah, but uh there's some things out there that are, you know, I mean, the rules around ghosts are fairly hard and set when it comes down to it. And some, and some like Chief Seattle, he's sort of, his rules are very well set in his culture and in his mythos yeah. and everything. And you more or less have to wipe out the entire Salish people to get rid of them. No, all you have to do, John, is go back in time and grab him and take him somewhere else. And he never gets turned into a ghost. Problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So don't act like it's not a, there's not simple solutions because there are. Now, of course, there's going to be a lot of fallout from that. But hey, you know, that's part of that's part of being an agent. Well, yeah. And remember, the the shadow works came from the bureau. They yeah. all pl- use the same damn playbook. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mike, my, my, except I, I, my problem is, that, is they're recruiting. The bureau is more or less... Uh, I mean, how are they recruiting? I mean, they basically, they're going to the same place as Bureau's going. It's going to be really fun to recruit new agents. Well, that's the thing. I don't see the shadow. Well, like Bruce said, the shadow works is small in number. The shadow works, from what Bruce just said, is a result of the massacre of 77. Yeah, there were people who were anti-supernatural and they got, you know, they, they had it out with the, the core bureau, and that was the massacre. Do we or do we not want the supernatural and magic as part of the bureau? Hence the massacre. From that rebuilding, the bureau wasn't the only one that rebuilt. The Shadow Works was formed out of the the survivors of the anti-supernatural movement within the bureau. Yeah, but I'm I have feeling that it's a lot grayer and older than the bureau is. Oh no! I I pretty much see them as I said, and and remember I had to do the timeline research for Bureau Thirteen OGL. I had to compile all the stuff from Black Powder, all the stuff from Bureau Thirteen, and until the late eighteen eighties, eighteen eighty nine, the end of the Black Powder era, because I'm running that Black Powder campaign now, and it just went into eighteen ninety. Lafayette Steve Baker was the one that said, "Okay, maybe we need to start fighting fire with fire." Hence the witch Samantha Poole, and the alchemist Jonas Mitchell. Before then, it was God, guns, and guts, and Bane knowledge. That's yeah. all that the Bureau had. Yeah. So the Shadow Works probably started from a group of hardcore Bureau agents back in the 1880s who just was, we ain't into that demonology stuff, I tell you what, just give us God, guns, and guts, and we're set to go. I think he using the appropriate accent, too, because I'm wondering where most of them come from. <laughs> I'm sure they came out of a deep sense of loss when, when, when a supernatural creature has been going on a rampage for who knows how long, possibly centuries, and just because they say, hey, I'm willing to work with you, the Bureau basically cut, gives, uh, 
gives them a free ride. Basically says, you know, we don't need justice. We'll just bring you in as long as you toe the line. Shadowworks says, no, there's going to be justice. And yeah. The, and the thing is, though, there, you know, from the Bureau, as the Bureau's learned over the years, is that there's an ecosystem. And if you just start stomping on the supernatural, bad things happen. Why do you think the Great Depression happened? Rich even wrote it that when a high minister of hell was banished from Wall Street, the Great Depression occurred. Apparently, that demon was keeping the economy going, and when the Bureau sent him away and banished him back to hell, everything fell out. And we, we didn't yep. get out of it until World War II. So, sometimes you, and that's sometimes I, you have to crack some eggs, Trav. Well, yeah, I understand that. And, they, and, of course, these agents didn't see the repercussions of getting rid of that demon. They had no idea, apparently, that he was controlling the finances and keeping everything actually level. Again, that's part of that whole ecosystem thing. Yeah, and th- and there's ley lines on Earth on Barrel Thirteen. There's ley lines. There's magic fly around. There's critters use critters using it. And what happens if there's aren't critters using it? What happens to that magic? Does it start pooling up and start causing problems? Or the ley lines start flaring up to where that yeah, where they start causing problems because that magic is not being mm-hmm. Uh, controlled and bottlenecked and tapped into. It's just running free. And then there's the land of fate, constantly trying to find new ways of getting back, getting into the into Bureau 13 universe. They keep, you know, opening up gates and coming and come trotting on in. You know, and it's, you know, the Bureau, yes, the Bureau understands. Yeah, we got to keep the, keep the dang fae in the land of fae because they just cause nothing but problems when they come over here. <sighs> okay, there was um something else Yeah, something else I did want to bring up about that seven agents do. Now, this will tap into Fringeworthy, but remember, when I added Bureau 13 to Second World, I did add, at least in mine, again, your mileage may vary. What's that that Habibi says? Y-M-M-V. I put the Second World on negative 114 prime. Now, that world is listed as Nightwatch, and we can just say that's the City Guard. Actually, isn't there a Nightwatch? In the Second City book, the Second World book, uh, a different Night Watch. They're uh, more of a mercenary guild, and different from the Russian Night Watch. Yeah, yeah. I gotta see that movie again. That was great. Anyways, one of the eight Prime Gates just happens to well, let's see. As I said, Paris, Moscow, Avalon, Beijing, Madrid, New Hispania, New York. What? I just said New Hispania, New York. That's just their version of Spanish Harlem, <laughs> which means there is a fringe warp or gate there. That that would be your choice. You know full well Seven's going to be watching that because they're going to know that that fringe gate's there. Yeah. Because Shay Talbot, after a while, had they found out because negative one fourteen prime pretty much is going to be late campaign level stuff. Mm-hmm. So Colonel Talbot would be like. Um, yes, one of those prime portals on that particular platform is in your backyard. You might wish to get a detail there as soon as possible. So That, that or her kid. You never know. It's Shay Talbot? Yeah. She can find someone she likes and have a kid and take him to, you know, walk through the portal while she still has him and make him fringe work. I kind of had Shay Talbot as, like, married to her job, just... Imagine basic and basically imagine without the extra nastiness, a white British Amanda Waller from Suicide Squad. 
It's just Shay Talbot is not that Machiavellian. Mm. And if you've seen the Suicide Squad movie, you know the Viola Davis character. The black woman who just would, like, shoot her own people in the head just as soon as look at them. Yep. But basically that type of character where secret government position, a lot of connections, rather gruff exterior, that's kind of who I modeled Shay Talbot after. But as I said, her in the Bureau, she is mistress of all things extra-dimensional that has to do with the Bureau and the liaison between those on the fringe paths and those in Bureau 13. So she would know about that portal dumping into the city of Rune, Spanish Harlem. A seven detail would be there. Like the portal would be in an alley. They're in a store that they can look right down that alley at all times. Or they're in an apartment. They've got 24-hour surveillance. Anybody comes through that portal, they're on it. Because they're going to want to make sure to not stop or not have any fringe excursions coming into the middle of Spanish Harlem. It can also be a middle of a park or an empty, you know, it could be someplace where, where people haven't built. Well, on the page, as I said, New Hispania, I just chalked that up to their version of Spanish Harlem. Yeah. I'm not particularly familiar with Spanish Harlem in New York City. A couple of my Saturday gamers are from Brooklyn and bedford Stuy. I can ask them next time I see them. But that, but yeah, Seven would definitely be keeping an eye on that particular fringe warp or portal, that area, mm-hmm. just because they don't need that type of drama going on. And they are intelligence gathering, so that would be right up their alley, you know, basically mm-hmm. a detail staking out that area. Oh, I'm looking at a map, uh, Google Maps. There's plenty of parks in East Harlem. It's East okay, Harlem, yeah. yeah. I really set where in Spanish Harlem. It just says New Hispania, and that's what I keyed it as. It's in the City of Runes and their version of Spanish Harlem. They just call it New Hispania, and it's all good. Again, your mileage may vary where you want to put that particular portal. In my campaign, I put it in a back alley yeah. because I actually had it where it's sort of public knowledge now that there's some type of weird disturbance there. Now, remember, so the Night Watch it's, 7 kind of have an eye on it. The, por- the portal will not intersect with any building, so it has to be either be in the middle. Which way is it pointing? Is it, if, it's, if it's pointing at either wall, there's no way you can drive a vehicle through. <laughs> or is it in the intersection of the alley so you can come out and head down and head out? Because I, I, I can see people going through the truck and going wham, and then slowly being pushed through the wall by the portal. Yeah, I, it, it, I, I have it at, like, where it's at, like, an L intersection. Ah, okay, so there's a place where a, a truck yeah. can come out and at least cut a corner. Yeah. All right. So, and there's no other parts in America where Seven would deal with a fringe portal just there in the city of Rooms. Yeah, so, with, trying to see what else. Hmm. Interesting because I was looking at some of these apartments, some of the apartments in there. They have little courtyards which are about 25 foot wide. Yeah. So, yeah, you can put that that portal anywhere in what would equate to Spanish Harlem. Yeah. As I said, seven would seven and the city guard would have taken that property. Just we need to buy this area. There's a disturbance here. Here's, you know, 5,000 gold pieces. Go move somewhere, you know and take over that area to make sure that they've got 
constant surveillance on the portal. And remember, the fringe portals and warps are all biotech. So yes, with the rules in the second world, when you buy the second world sourcebook PDF and see that hard tech doesn't work, it's because all the fringe tech is biotech. Yeah. Therefore, the portals would work on an all-magic world. They, I, well, I also started going along the line. It's also Tremelon technology, and they more or less said, you know the playtex effect we talk about all the time? Permanent playtex effects in the portals. Yeah. I, I kind of prefer the <laughs> it's biotech so it, bi- so it doesn't... Mm. With the hard tech limitation, that that's just my spit. No, but uh, I look at it from the point of view. There are some places where it just wouldn't work, and therefore it has to be some reason why it works. Well, you know, we already have the excuse. It's the playtex effect. Basically, it's it's the you know for everything else, it, they lose their magic, lose whatever the, the weird science, whatever. But not Tremelon to our effects. They basically operate on a permanent playtex effect. You know, they never they never lose their abilities because they, the Tremelons don't we didn't want them to lose their abilities. Okay, all right. In that case, that's just GM preference, and that's that's yeah. And you can uh, also create a reality bubble where, which is essentially what you call the playtex effect. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of creatures that live inside of reality bubbles because they don't their 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 personal physics would never work. All right, and you could do the same thing with tech. Okay, where tech actually can exist inside of a reality bubble, just like magic can resi- it can exist within a reality bubble, but it would be rare, just like reality bubbles are rare. Yeah. So I have to ask the question, Trav, because most of New York City is from the last big old glacier that came on down and scraped it about twelve thousand years ago. Okay. So we're saying twelve at minimum of twelve thousand years ago. That's when the portals were established on this world. See, what the thing is with, with Fringeworthy, I'm reading that these portals were established like an eon ago. I've read in various Fringeworthy things anywhere from 100,000 to 250,000 years ago. That's what I've been reading, that the portal system was generally set up across the fringe paths. Okay, so that the reason I bring that up then, because it's, it's very possible, and that's, in that case, it's very possible that the portal is buried under a ton of, of, of uh, glacial mor- moraine. I mean, the oh, yeah. station is they're, basically it, it, they're, buried. They're, they're deep, 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 deep down. Basically, it, it wouldn't move. It'd crack whatever, whatever, um, oh, yeah, it's came along. Tech. It's, yeah, if yeah. Rock, rock will just crumble around it. And yeah. remember, we got that, what is it, that four foot wide area that even if you were to atomize the planet or try to, you'd still have that four foot circle around the portal ramp just floating through space. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, glaciers come through and just basically dig out around it. Yeah, and it's probably buried somewhere. Uh, oh dear, somewhere God. deep below uh, yeah. Manhattan Island. Yeah, in in, in, in basically um, what's uh, bedrock. Yeah, <laughs> because I believe Harlem is on Manhattan Island. So yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and it's and it's basically uh, it's um, shield. Uh, basically, it's basalt. You know, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the reason why they can build tall buildings because you have this basaltic bedrock. That yep. was scraped away by the by the uh, by the mountains. So yeah, somewhere yeah, uh, I had to look at the topography. Oh no, because everything here is low in this area. There's no really no tall buildings in the area. This is one of the low spots. So yeah, it is definitely buried at the bottom of uh, East Harlem. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to get more into the whole liaison and agent 
titles mm -hmm. that Seven has. Yep. And I'm pretty much going to be reading these from... Now, again, I'm going to try to strip the mechanics out because with the concept of influence points and the fact that this was made for D20 Modern, and they say, oh, the skill you need to roll for anything that has to do with... Um, with seven would be investigate. Well, if you're converting this to Pathfinder, there is no investigate skill unless you use, and I'm digging deep here, we're talking the Eberron D20 Wizards books. For their Inquisitives, they had a feat called investigate where you basically could use, well, search, now perception, to investigate, as in dig for clues. Uh, so if you uh, wanted to pull that feat from the Eberron books to say, Okay, I'm using my perception skills, investigate. Then you could do that. Anyways, there are two positions that you can apply for, and to get the mechanics out, we'll just say it's role-playing purposes. Liaison. Like all seven members, liaisons are chosen for their talent and their loyalty. Liaisons are essentially trusted freelancers. Seven frequently need certain things done, things that require divine, arcane, warden, or fighting talents, and turns to its liaisons to get the job done. Habrek 7 uses liaisons for a variety of purposes. They might send you into a building to recover information. They might need Ved Kayat territory scouted. That would be up in New England. Second, Second World New England. They are metallic-skinned, lawful-neutral ascetics from the Forge, which is the buffer dimension between Bureau 13 Earth and the Second World. They might need a... What? As, as you would do, Yes. Well, just, yeah, I mean, the Ved Kayat are another power that are looking to come down and sweep through New England and New York, and they know that the power of the rune is there. So seven liaisons for seven might be set up. Yeah, there's a Ved Kayat camp up about 100 miles north of here. We'll give you supplies, go up there and scout it out and see if they're going to be a problem. Uh, let's see, they might need a dungeon explorer or a bad guy beat up. They also might need some magical hitting power for a first world mission. This last comes up most often when some magical creature beings have established a foothold or operation in the first world and seven wants it removed. I.e. so it because it doesn't become a threat where the Bureau has to take care of it. Basically seven reigning in its own, so to speak. It turns liaisons in these cases because they're typically powerful and familiar with fighting against magical opposition. As a liaison, you receive nothing in particular, not even an office. Seven does allow its liaisons to board at the office for a short time if needed. Now, the role-playing access, you have to convince Derek Mansfield or the aforementioned Sharon Stout. Derek Mansfield runs the New York Seven offices. That you can be trusted and that you have democratic interests at heart. If you can get either of them to a helpful attitude, i.e. through a diplomacy check, then you've likely succeeded at that part. You also must perform at least one mission, not just satisfactorily, but well. You've performed a mission particularly well when no one even knows you did anything, which is typical Bureau mentality. If no one even knows that anything bad happened, yeah. Then there's Agent. In order to become an agent, you must believe more than anything in promoting the good of your country. You must be honest. Screwing up a little is okay as long as you tell your fellow agents about it. And, of course, you must be smart, charming, inventive, courageous, and all-around perfect sort of person. If you include alignment in your seven, seven detects for good in the character. They'll accept only those who test positive for this, and the person must be nearly naked when they take this test. In other words, no weird 
helmet of detect undetectable alignment or anything like that. Well, if you don't yeah. care much for a what? Well, that you know, or the jockstrap of lawfulness or something like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. If you don't care much for alignment, subject potential agents to a rigorous personality test counts as sense motive plus 15. The test can only detect certain personality disorders and a tendency to be looking for something out of the position. Both of these tests represent just a final double check, though. The personal recommendation of another agent counts for much more since seven things that only continued association with the individual can reveal important truths about the character. Don't forget the don't forget the knee pads of allure. Oh yeah, yeah. Munchkin reference. Let's see what you did there. As mentioned before, <laughs> agents can do just about anything in answer to practically no one. They've reached a point in their career where the head office assumes that the agent's agendas match well enough with the agendas of the organization that they can give agents a free hand. In other words, this would be, as I said, liaison is more for okay. You've been exiled to the second world. You've managed to figure out that seven exists, and you say okay. I want to do this. You're a liaison. If you're an agent, pretty much, I just say, no, you're a Bureau 13 agent. You've been transferred to this post. We need agents here in the second world. The organization, we call it Habrex 7 or 7. You're getting transferred there. Now, couldn't some of the liaisons also be, uh, I've used the word, natives as well? Oh, natives of the second world? Yeah, if they realize that this is something they want to do, like... Okay. Uh, the aforementioned anarcho-syndicalist movement. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing that, yeah, we... Well, problem is, they those two have been at odds before, I read earlier. So, yeah, that'd be kind of, you know, kind of not a cool thing. But let's say um, a member of the City Guard realizes... Because the City Guard in the Second World, and I will use the current internet language, corrupt, capital A, capital F. If you are a good cop in the city watch, you are a rarity. Let's say he wants to actually do something for the city, but he's had it with the corruption. And he finds out about seven. He is someone who has been born and raised in the city of runes. And he, yeah, I want to become a cop. And they find out they're corrupt as all get out. Them going to seven, yeah. In that case, then they could try for liaison first and then go to agent. As I said, second world, I never, I think if it's the second world native, they still have the exile because they are automatically citizens and they'll bounce back. So I think at the most, they might only be liaisons unless they can somehow get to Bangor, Maine. If they, they can apply for the agent position, either through role playing or through the mechanics in the book. And if you can get their butts to Bangor, Maine before exile kicks in, the exile can be negated once they get to Bangor, Maine. Yeah. So my next question is, that includes the non-humans. Yeah, dwarves, elves, all that. Yeah, if they if they were well, see, remember, there's another thing here about the second world. Let's say you were a human in, from Earth and you get exiled. There could be something in you called, and what did Mister Peterson call it, a kernel of the fantastic. Over the course of a few weeks, you become a fantasy race. Oh, you're kind of tall and thin and, you know, you have a gymnast build. Over the course of a couple weeks in the second world, you become an elf. Oh, you're short, stocky and strong. You know, kind of like a fire plug. Eh, You turn into a full-on dwarf. But you still have your human upbringing and mindset. 
And if if you're if gruff, gruff, and gruff, gruff, and uh, obnoxious, and kind of like fighting, turn into an orc, or half orc, or half yeah. orc, or even a troll. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, see, it, the potential is endless. That's it's what the GM says. And of course, there are other races in the second world. Heck, there are humanoid. There are large size humanoid orcas that live in the North Atlantic and every so often they'll come up to trade at the docks in the second world, New York. Mm. Why does this remind me of that new, I can't remember, is it a Netflix show or the one where the cops, it's, when you mentioned the guard, I'm also, I'm, I can't remember if it's Will Smith. Uh, be able it's either. called Bright. Yeah. It's called, yeah. Basically I'm seeing it as shadow run. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I just got done watching Defenders a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I've been seeing the, the, the blurbs for it. And yeah, it basically it looks like Shadowrun. Okay. But yeah, they're, the, the City Watch, as far as I know, because there's so many races, yeah, there's a little bit of racism. You're still going to have not, pe- not many people like half-orcs. But I'm sure that the City Watch is full of humans, dwarves, elves, half-elves, gnomes. Mm-hmm. Heck, there's a halfling-made um, security company called Enigma Securities in the Second World. And it was actually made from a bunch of World War II exiles. Hmm. Humans that came over during World War II, they found something supernatural, during, and they got shunted over. And so they made like a security company that's been around now for the past 80 years. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.